eleven of Darnley by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eleven. This is no Father Dominic, no huge, overgrown Abbey lubber. Spanish friar. Who can depict the feelings of Sir Osborne Maurice as he found himself riding on towards that court where, with the ardour of youthful hope, he doubted not to retrieve the fortunes of his family by those qualities which had already acquired for him an honourable fame? clothed once more in arms which for five years had been his almost constant dress far better mounted than when he first set out supported by the friendship of some of the best and noblest of the land and furnished with a sum which he had never dreamed of possessing though but starting for the race he felt as if he already neared the goal and looking round upon his four attendants who were all as they were termed in that day especial stout varlets he almost wished like a real knight-errant that some adventure would present itself wherein he might signalize himself for the first time in his native country dame fortune however was coy and would not favour him in that sort and after having ridden on for half an hour enjoying almost to intoxication the deep draughts of renewed hope he brought to his side by a sign our friend longpole who now promoted to the dignity of custrel or shield-bearer followed with the armed servants of the duke carrying sir osborne's target and spear tell me longpole said the knight who had remarked his faithful retainer in busy conversation with his companions hast thou discovered why the duke's servants have not his grace's cognizance or bearing either on the breast or arm why it seems your worship that they are three stout fellows who attended the noble duke in the wars and they are commanded to wait upon your worship till the duke shall have need of them each has his quiver and his bow besides his sword and pike so if we should chance to meet that wolf sir payan or any of his underwolves we may well requite them for the day's board and lodging which your worship had at the manor we being five could well match ten of them and besides the little old gentleman in black velvet told me that your worship would be fortunate in all things for two months after you got out but after that he could not say for what little gentleman in black are you speaking of interrupted the knight you forget i do not know whom you mean ay true your worship answered longpole i forgot you were locked up all that while but you must know that when sir payan returned yesterday he brought with him a little gentleman dressed in black velvet doublet and crimson hose but so small he would be obliged to stand on tiptoe to look me into a tankard well sir payan sent for me and questioned me a great deal about the young lady who had been in with you and he thought himself vastly shrewd for certain he is cunning enough to cheat the devil out of a bed and a supper any day but i did my best to blind him and then he asked me for the key and said he would keep it himself so i was obliged to give up the only way i had of helping your worship for i saw by that that sir payan suspected me and would not trust me any more near you which indeed he did not well he made a speech to the little gentleman and then left the room and i suppose i looked at the bottom of my wits for the little fellow says to me hartley there's a window as well as a door so i started first to find he knew my name and secondly because he knew what i was thinking about however i thought there was no use to be angry with a man for picking my pocket or my thoughts without my knowing it so i took it quietly and answered i know there is but how shall i make him understand what he is to do tell me what it is said he and i will show you how so i don't know why because he might have been a great cheat but i told him 
and thereupon he took a bit of parchment from his pocket it might have been a skin and a bit of whitish wax it looked like out of a bottle and made as if he wrote upon the parchment but the more he wrote the less writing i could see however he gave me the piece of parchment and told me to throw it in at the window after dark with a heap more i resolved to try for i began to guess that the little old gentleman was a conjurer and when i got into the dark i found that the paper was all shining like a stinking fish and your lordship knows the rest he is an extraordinary man said sir osborne but did you never hear your father speak of sir caesar i have heard my good dad talk about one sir caesar said longpole but i did not know that this was he if i had i would have thanked him for many a kind turn he did for two old folks while i was away but does your worship see those heavy towers standing up over the trees to the left that is the benedictine abbey just out of canterbury that is where i am going replied the knight if that be willsbourne willsbourne or st cummin answered longpole they call it either the abbot is a good man they say which is something to say for an abbot as days go your abbey is a very silent discreet place tis like purgatory where a man gets quit of his sins without the devil knowing anything about it nay nay you blaspheme the cloister longpole said the knight i have heard a great deal spoken against the heads of monasteries but i cannot help thinking that as most men hate their superiors some of the monks would be sure to blazon the sins of those above them if they had so many as people say faith they are too cunning a set for that replied longpole they have themselves a proverb which goes to say let the world wag do your own business and always speak well of the lord abbot so you shall feed well and fare well and sleep while tolls the matin bell but your worship must turn up here if you are really going to the abbey the knight signified that such was certainly his intention and turning up the lane that led across to the abbey in about a quarter of an hour he arrived at a little open green bordered by the high wall that surrounded the gardens the lodge forming as it were part of the wall itself stood exactly opposite looking over the green with its heavy wooden doors and small loophole windows to it longpole rode forward and rang the bell and on the appearance of an old stupid-faced porter the knight demanded to see the lord abbot you can see him at vespers in the church if you like to go any day said the profound janitor whose matter-of-fact mind comprehended alone the mere meaning of each word but i cannot speak with him at vespers said the knight i have a letter for him from his grace of buckingham and must speak with him that is a different case said the porter you said you wanted to see the abbot not to speak to him but come in i cannot come in without you open the other gate said the knight how can my horse pass old man like down then said the porter i shall not let horses here unless it be my lord abbot's mule be you who you will then you will take the consequences of not letting me in replied the knight for i shall not light down from my horse till i am in the court then you will stay out said the old man very quietly shutting the door much to sir osborne's indignation and astonishment for a moment he balanced whether he should ride on without further care or whether he should again make an attempt upon the obdurate porter a moment however determined him to choose the latter course and catching the bell-rope he rang a very sufficient peal nobody appeared and angry beyond all patience the knight again clapped his hand to the rope muttering if you won't hear old man others shall and pulling for at least five minutes he bade the whole place echo with the din 
he was still engaged in this very sonorous employment when the door was again opened by the porter and a monk appeared dressed simply in the loose black gown of st benedict with the cowl scapulary and other vestments of a brother of the order i should think sir knight said he that you might find some better occupation than in disturbing myself and brethren here walking in our garden without offending you or any one my good father answered sir osborne it is i who have cause to be angry rather than any one else i came here for the purpose of rendering a slight service to my lord abbot and am bearer of a letter from his grace of buckingham and your uncivil porter shuts your gate in my face because i do not choose to dismount from my horse and leave my attendants without though i know not how long it may be convenient for your superior to detain me you have done wrong said the monk turning to the porter first in refusing to open the gate next in telling me what was false about it open the great gates and admit the knight and his train i shall remember this in the penance the old porter dared not murmur but he dared very well be slow and he contrived to be nearly half an hour in the simple operation of drawing the bolts and bars and opening the gates which the good monk bore with much greater patience than the knight who had fondly calculated upon reaching the village of Sithenburn that night, and who saw the day waning fast in useless retardation. At length, however, the doors unclosed, and he rode into the avenue that led through the gardens to the back of the abbey, the monk preparing to walk beside his horse. A feeling, however, of respect for a certain mildness and dignity in the old man's manner induced him to dismount, and giving his horse to one of the servants he entered into conversation with his conductor while as they went along his clanging step and glistening arms called several of the brethren from their meditative sauntering to gaze at the strange figure of an armed knight within their peaceful walls surely father said sir osborne as they walked on his mind drawn naturally to such thoughts the silent quietude of the scene and the calm tranquillity of existence which you enjoy here would more than compensate for all the fleeting unreal pleasures of the world without even the gratification of those holy thoughts that first call you to this retirement there are many who feel it so my son and i among them answered the old man but yet do not suppose that human nature can ever purify itself entirely of earthly feelings hopes wishes and necessities produce passions even here pettier it is true because the sphere is pettier but depend upon it no society can ever be so constructed as to eradicate the evil propensities of man's nature or even their influence without entirely circumscribing his communion with his fellows he must be changed or solitary must have no objects to excite or no passions to be excited he must be a hermit or a corpse have a desert or the grave it is a bad account of human nature said the knight i had fancied that such feelings as you speak of were unknown here that at all events religious sentiments would correct and overcome them they do correct my son though they cannot overcome them said the monk i spoke of monastic life merely as a human institution and even in that respect we are likely to meet with more tranquillity within such walls as these than perhaps anywhere else because the persons who adopt such a state from choice are generally those of a calm and placid disposition and religion easily affects the rest but there are others driven by disappointment by satiety by caprice by fear by remorse by even pride and urged by bad feelings from the first those bad feelings accompany them still 
and act as a leaven amongst those with whom they are thus forced to consort even when it is but sorrow that weaning from worldly pleasure brings a brother here often the sorrow leaves him and the taste for the world returns when an irrevocable vow has torn him from it for ever or else if his grief lasts it becomes a black and brooding melancholy as different from true religion as even the mad gaiety of the thoughtless crowd there was a youth here not long ago who was wont to call the matin bell the knell of broken hearts others again circumscribed in the range of their feelings become irascible from the very restraint and vent their irritability on all around them but example in a superior does much said the knight and i have heard that your lord abbot whether you are about to praise or blame said the monk stop i am the abbot if it were praise you were about to speak i could not hear it silently if twere blame i would fain save you the pain of uttering to my own ears what many doubtless say behind my back indeed my lord abbot answered the knight i had nothing to speak but praise and had it been blame i would sooner have said it to yourself than to one of your monks but to the business which brings me hither his grace the duke of buckingham by this letter commends him to your lordship and knowing that i purpose journeying to the court he has desired me to conduct and protect with my best power a young lady whose name i forget till i have rendered her safely to her royal mistress queen catherine i thank you for the trouble you have already taken my son we will in to the scriptorium said the abbot and when i have perused his grace's letter i will have the lady informed that you are here although that art was rapidly advancing which soon after entirely superseded the necessity of manual transcription for multiplying books yet the scriptorium or copying-room was still not only to be found but was also still employed for its original purpose in almost every abbey or monastery of consequence in that of the benedictines of wilsbourne it was a large oblong chamber vaulted with low gothic arches and divided into various small compartments by screens of carved oak each of these possessed its table and writing apparatus and in more than one when sir osborne entered was to be seen a monk copying some borrowed manuscript for the use of the abbey the approach of the abbot whose manners seemed to possess a great deal of primeval simplicity did not in the least derange the copyists in their occupation and it is probable that when unengaged in the immediate ministry of his office he did not exact that ceremonious reverence to which the mitred abbot was by rank entitled in politeness as in everything else there are of course various shades of difference very perceptible to observation yet hardly tangible by language thus when the abbot had read the duke of buckingham's letter the character which it gave sir osborne caused a very discernible change to take place in his manner though in what it consisted it would be difficult to say he had always been polite but his politeness became warmer when he spoke it was with a smile and in short it was evidently an alteration in his mind from the mere feeling of general benevolence which inhabits every good bosom to the sort of individual kindness which can only follow some degree of acquaintance he expressed much gratification at the idea of lady catherine bulmer having the advantage of the knight's escort more especially he said as the news from rochester became worse and worse but sir osborne he continued had better speak with the lady herself when they could form such arrangements as might be found convenient for lady catherine 
had a good deal of the light caprice of youth and loved to follow her own fancies he then sent some directions to the prior concerning matters of discipline and gave orders that the attendance of sir osborne should be brought to the hospitaller whose peculiar charge it was to entertain guests and strangers and this being done he led the way towards that part of the abbey which contained the sisters of the order preceded by a monk bearing a large key separated throughout by a wall of massy masonry no communication existed between the two portions of the building except by a small iron door the key of which always remained with the abbot and by some underground communications as it was whispered the knowledge of which was confined also to his bosom of these subterranean chambers many dark tales of cruelty and unheard-of penances were told as having happened in former ages when monastic sway had its full ascendant but even their very existence was now doubtful and when any one mentioned them before the abbot he only smiled as a man will do at the tales of wonder that amaze a child however that may be the way by which he led the young knight to the female side of the monastery was simply through the cloisters and having arrived at the door of communication he took the key from the bearer unlocked it himself and making the knight pass into the cloister on the other side he locked the door and rejoined him the place in which they now were was a gloomy arcade surrounding a small square court in the centre of which appeared a statue of scholastica the sister of saint benedict and several almost childish ornaments evinced the pious designs of the good sisters to decorate their patroness but notwithstanding all their efforts it was a dreary spot the pointed arches of the cloister resting upon pillars of scarce a foot in height the thick embellishments of stonework forming almost what heralds would call a bordure fleure round the archways together with the towering height of the building round about took away the scanty light that found its way into deep recesses of the double aisle and buried all the second or inner row of arches in profound shadow another small door appeared on the left of the abbot who still held the key in his hand but stopping he pointed along the cloister to the right and said my son i must leave you here for i go to my sister's apartment to have the lady called to the grate and no layman must pass here but if you follow that arcade round the court till you see a passage leading again towards the light you cannot miss your way you will come to the convent court as it is called and exactly opposite you will find a door which leads to the grate there i will join you the knight followed the lord abbot's direction and proceeding round the first side of the square was turning into the second when he thought he saw the flutter of a white garment in the shadowy part of the inner aisle it is some nun thought he but a moment's reflection brought to his mind that the habit of the benedictines was always black and it may be that curiosity made him take a step or two somewhat faster than he did before open the door and make haste geraldine said a female voice in a low tone but one that nevertheless reverberated by the arches reached the knight's ears quite distinctly for him to hear the lady proceed he must be on horseback i think by the quickness of his pace and the clanking of his hoofs cannot you open it run across the court then silly wench quick or gogmagog will have you and with a light laugh the lady of the white robe darted out from the archway and tripped gracefully across the court with her long veil flowing back from her head as she ran and showing fully the beautiful brown hair with which it was mingled and the beautiful sunny face which it was meant to hide but which fully conscious of its own loveliness was now turned with a somewhat playful 
somewhat inquisitive, somewhat coquettish glance, towards the knight. Following close behind her was a pretty young woman, dressed as a servant-maid, who ran on without looking to the right or left, and who, probably being really frightened, almost tumbled over her mistress, not perceiving that she slackened her pace as she reached the other side of the court. It thus happened that she trod on the young lady's foot, who uttered a slight cry, and leaned upon the servant for support. As may be imagined, Sir Osborne was by her side in a moment, expressing his hopes that she was not hurt, and tendering his services with knightly gallantry. But the lady suddenly drew herself up, made him a low curtsey, and stiffly thanking him for his attention, walked slowly to the door by which the abbot had entered. Not very well pleased with the reception his politeness had met, the knight proceeded on his way, and easily found the passage which the abbot had described, leading, as he had been told, into the larger court exactly opposite the door by which visitors were usually admitted. This door, as usual, stood open, and mounting the steps, Sir Osborne proceeded on into a small room beyond, separated from the parlour by a carved oak partition, in the centre of which was placed the trellis-work of gilded iron called the Grate. Nobody appearing on the other side, Sir Osborne cast himself upon the bench with which one side of the room was furnished, and waited patiently for the appearance of the lady, abandoning now, of necessity, the idea of proceeding farther that night. After having waited for a few minutes, a light step met his ear, and without much surprise, for he had already guessed what was the fact, he saw the same lady approach the grate whom he had met in the court. Rising thereupon from his seat, he advanced to the partition, and bowed low, as if to a person he had never seen. The lady, on her part, made him a low curtsey, and both remained silent. "'I am here,' said the knight, after a long pause, "'to receive the commands of Lady Catherine Bulmer, if I now have the honour of speaking to her.' "'My name is Bulmer, Sir Knight,' replied the lady, "'and Ecatherine.' and some folks call me lady, and some mistress, but by what my lord abbot and my lady abestress tell me, it seems that I am to receive your commands rather than you to receive mine. Very far from it, madam, said the knight. You have but to express your wishes, and they shall be obeyed. There now, cried the lady, with an air of mock admiration. Sir knight, you are the flower of courtesy. Then you do not positively insist on my getting up at five to-morrow morning to set out, as my lord abbot informed me, a thing I never did in my life, and which, please God, I never will do. I insisted upon nothing, madam, answered the knight. I only informed my lord abbot that it would be more convenient to me to depart as speedily as possible, and I ventured to hint that if you knew of how much importance it might be for me to arrive at the court soon, you would gratify me by using all the dispatch which you might with convenience to yourself. Then it is of importance to you? demanded the lady. That changes the case. Name the hour, Sir Knight, and you shall find me ready. But you know not what a good horsewoman I am. I can make long journeys and quick ones. Not less than two days will suffice, I fear, said the knight. The first day we may halt at Gravesend. Halt? exclaimed the lady, laughing, and turning to her woman, who stood at a little distance behind. "'Do you hear that? Halt! He talks to me as if I were a soldier. Tell me, Geraldine, is it possible that I look like a pikeman?' "'Not any way like a soldier,' replied the knight, sufficiently amused with her liveliness and beauty, to forget her pertness. "'Not any way like a soldier, unless it be one of heaven's host.' 
"'Gracious heaven!' cried the lady. "'He says pretty things. "'Only think of a man in armour being witty. "'But really, Sir Knight, it frightens me to see you all wrapped up in horrid steel. "'Can it possibly be that these Rochester shipwrights are so outrageous "'as to require a belted knight with lance in rest "'for the escort of a simple girl like me? "'Men are wont to guard great treasures with even superfluous care,' replied Sir Osborne. The lady made him a very profound curtsey, and he proceeded. This was most probably the Lord Abbot's reason for sending to request some escort from the Duke of Buckingham. For though I hear of some riot or tumult at Rochester, I cannot suppose it very serious. However, all I know is this, that the right reverend father did send, while I was there jousting in the park, and understanding that I was about to proceed to London, his grace resigned me to the honour of conducting you safely thither. "'What, then? You are not one of the Duke's own knights?' exclaimed Lady Katrine. "'I am no one's knight,' replied Sir Osborne with a smile, "'except it be the King's and yours, if such you will allow me to be.' "'Oh, that I will,' answered the lady. "'I should like a tame knight above anything. "'But in troth I have spoken to you somewhat too lightly, sir.' She proceeded more gravely. "'From what my Lord Uncle Abbot told me,' I judged the Duke had sent me one of his household knights, men who, having forty pounds a year, had been forced to receive a slap on the shoulder for the sake of the herald's fee, and then, having naught to do that may become the sir, they pin themselves to the skirts of some great man's robe to do knightly and unknightly service. "'Such am not I, fair lady,' replied Sir Osborne, a little piqued that she could even have supposed so. "'I took my knighthood in the battle-plain, from the sword of a great monarch, and so long as I live my service shall never be given but to my lady, my king, or my god. "'Nay, nay, do not look so fierce, man in armour,' answered Lady Katrine, relapsing into her merriment. "'Both from your manner and your men, I should have judged differently if I had thought but for a moment. But do not you see? I never think. I take a thing for granted, and then go on acting upon it as if it were really true.' but as i said you shall be my knight and before we reach the court i doubt not i shall have a task to give you and a guerdon for your pains if the good folks of rochester do not cut our throats in the meanwhile but what hour did you say sir knight for setting out for here my poor wenches have to make quick preparations of all my habits i have named no hour replied sir osborne but if you will do me the honour to let me know when you are ready to-morrow my horses shall stand saddled from six in the morning. "'But how am I to let you know?' demanded the lady. "'Unless I take hold of the bell-rope and ring matins on the convent bell, "'and then all the good souls will wink their eyes "'and think the sun has turned lie abed. "'Dear heart, Sir Knight, you do not suppose that the monks and the nuns "'come running in and out between the two sides of the abbey "'like the busy little ants in their wonderful small cities? "'No, no, no!' "'None comes in here but my lord abbot, and an old confessor or two, "'so deafened with the long catalogue of worldly sins, "'that they would not hear my errand, much less do it. "'But now I think of it, there is a good lay sister. "'Her I will bribe with a silver piece to risk purgatory "'by going round to the front gate of the abbey "'and telling the monk when I am ready. "'And now, good sir knight, I must go back to my lord abbot "'and fall down upon my knees and beg pardon.' I left him so offended that he would not come down with me, because I was pert about going early. Farewell. Judge not harshly of me till to-morrow. Perhaps then I may give you cause. Who knows? 
thus saying she tripped lightly away with a gay saucy toss of the head like a spoiled child too sure of pleasing to be heedful about doing so as she turned away the maid advanced to the grate and informed sir osborne that the lord abbot would meet him at the place where they had parted upon which information the knight retrod his steps to the little court of the cloisters where he found the abbot pacing up and down with a grave and thoughtful countenance i am afraid sir osborne maurice said he as the knight approached that the young lady you have just left has not demeaned herself as i would have wished towards you for she left me in one of those flighty moods which i had good hope would have been cured by her stay in the convent she expected to find you still with the lady abbess said sir osborne avoiding the immediate subject of the abbot's inquiry and went with the intention of suing for pardon of your lordship having given you she said some offence i am glad to hear it with all my heart said the monk for then she is penitent which is all that god requires of us and all that we can require of others indeed her heart is good and though she commits many a fault yet she repents the moment after and would fain amend it but come sir knight though our own rules are strict we must show our hospitality to strangers and i hope our refectioner has taken care to remember that you will partake the fare of my table to-night but first you had better seek your chamber and disencumber yourself of this armour which though very splendid must be very heavy ho oh, brother francis tell the hospitaller to come hither and conduct the knight to his apartment while this short conversation was taking place the abbot had led sir osborne back into the cloisters on the male side of the building and proceeding slowly along towards the wing in which was the scriptorium and other apartments of general use they were soon met by the hospitaller who led the knight to a neat small chamber furnished with a bed a crucifix and a missal here the worthy officer of the convent essayed with inexpert hands to disengage the various pieces of the harness speaking all the while and asking a thousand idle questions with true monastic volubility without giving sir osborne either time to hear or to reply stay stay said the knight at length as the old man endeavoured to unbuckle the cuissards you cannot do it my good father and besides it is an unworthy task for such a holy man as you not in the least my son not in the least replied the monk but as i was saying i dare say you have heard how the lord mayor and his men went to hoxton lane especially if you have been lately in london or have you been down in cornwall allaying the cornish tumultuaries oh well oh well it is very odd i cannot get that buckle out though perhaps my son you can tell me whether the prior of gloucester has embraced the mitigated rule instead of the severe and indeed the mitigated is severe enough four days fast in the week if the duke of buckingham were to send us another fat buck as he did last year but i forget it is not the season alack alack all things have their times and seasons and truly i am of the season of old age though god help us all i believe i must call your shield-bearer for i cannot get the buckle out do so my good father said the knight glad enough to get rid of him and bid him bring my cask hither accordingly our friend longpole was soon brought to sir osborne's chamber and by his aid the knight easily freed himself from that beautiful armour which we who are in the secret of all men's minds may look upon as in a great degree a present from the duke of buckingham although sir osborne himself did not begin to suspect that the just and the prizes had been entirely given to furnish him with money and arms till the lapse of two or three days allowed calm consideration to show him 
the events in their true colours after once more admiring for a moment or two the beauty of the suit and having given directions for it being carefully cleansed of all damp that it might have acquired on the road he descended to the table of the lord abbot which he found handsomely provided for his entertainment to the wine however and the costly viands with which it was spread the abbot himself did little justice observing almost the rigid abstinence of the ascetic but to compensate for his want of good fellowship the prior and sub-prior who shared the same table found themselves called upon to press the stranger to his food and to lead the way End of chapter eleven